0: Good morning. Right, good morning. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, my name is Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship. I'm gonna make an executive decision, and sorry, Jeremy, I'm moving this thing cause I want it. <laughs> to hold my bottle of water. Thank you. If you'll turn with me now, uh, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 18 Verses 18 to 23. Acts chapter 18. Verses 18 to 23. Reads like this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila at Centria. He had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for um, the opportunity to, to hear your word, to be encouraged by your word, maybe be convicted by your word. Lord, we know that it is is your will that is revealed in Scripture. And Lord, we know the the beauty and the importance and, and the perfection that is your word. We ask, Father, that your spirit would be here, that you'd be leading us, guiding us, that you would be softening our hearts to hear your word and to receive your word. Pray, Father, that that we would be free from distractions, that we would be free from uh, focusing on any, any trials or, or temptations or struggles that we've been going through this past week. Lord, let our hearts be settled and at peace as we hear and receive your word. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So here in this this passage, verses 18 to 23, we sort of have this kind of summary section that's going on. It's the end of uh, Paul's second missionary journey. In a lot of ways, it kind of sums it up and it kind of ties it together before he moves into this next season of ministry, before he moves into uh, his third missionary journey. And so kind of putting everything within context, what we've been hearing Pastor Joe last week was was talk about how uh, Paul was in Corinth and, and he had faced some opposition there. He had faced some opposition and, and people kind of pushing back at him and um, really resilient to his preaching. And they had brought him before some of the authorities and, and they're like, well, what's this to us? Kind of solve your, own, solve your own issues. He's fine. He's done nothing wrong. And so then here we see it says, after that he stayed many days longer so he spent some time there and we don't know how long and and we're uh uh we don't know why he finally left maybe the authorities that were in place maybe it was going to change out maybe there was going to be new authority he was unsure okay how is it going to go how's it going to go for me i've had it kind of pretty good during this but for there he he left and it talks about how i mean it's a subject i don't really like talking about i'm just going to be honest. Cuts his hair. (laughs) Paul cuts his hair. Just a reminder, there's another passage in Scripture about the cutting of hair, and that guy lost all his power. (laughs) Just remember said things. But here we see, it talks about here that he was under a vow, this Nazarite vow. And you read that, it's like, how do you reconcile these two things? How do you reconcile Paul who has said, listen, we are we are not under this condemnation. We are not under the law here. We've got, we've got Jesus who fulfills the law, and yet here we see him uh, fulfilling this, this vow. But see, he has this posture, though, as we read in Scripture here, that he fulfills this vow because he understands this vow is not for his salvation. This vow is not for his righteousness. But he fulfills this vow, this, this sense of, uh, uh, this season of ministry is over. God has been faithful. I have done the work that God has put before me. And now it's time for the next season that God has for me. And then he goes into the synagogue and he's reasoning with the Jews where before you see Paul is being is facing this opposition and this, uh people that are, that are pushing back and, and not wanting to hear from here, they're, back, they're saying, please stay longer. And for someone like Paul, if you would think, hey, in the prior place where I was meeting this resistance to the point of, I am shaking my cloak, I am done with you, now he goes and he's being asked, stay, stay, Paul. But Paul says, what does he say? He declined. And on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail. You know, I love this part about Paul's ministry or just his his posture. We'll use that word. Paul was completely open. He had these desires and, and goals and things that he wanted to accomplish, but he held them up and said, Lord willing. If this is the plan of God for me, if this is his purpose and plan for my life during this season, for my ministry, then let it be so. If not, I have to go. And Paul understood that, the importance of living and, and, uh, uh, living and thriving, which we can debate on what thriving means. Because it's not only maybe all the good blessings, but also then he faced some hardships. But in the midst of that, securely knowing, I am fulfilled, I am living in God's will for my life. I struggle with knowing what that is. What is it that God, God's will for my life is? I mean, at a at a macro level, right? At a high up level, I look and I say. You know, I understand that that he wants me to to obey his commands that, that he wants me to to seek after him, to love him, to cherish him, to to trust in him I, at, a, at a macro level I, I believe I'm, I'm called to to be a, uh, uh, an elder and, and a shepherd like I, I look and i say I, I, at a macro level like he's the, god's will in my life is to be To be a God-honoring husband and father to my children? Like at a macro level, we can kind of sort of answer a lot of these questions, right? But now what about when we get to the mundane? What about when we get to the day-to-day? What about when we're looking at, is this the right employment that God has for me? Or how does God want me to react in the midst of this situation? Or what does it mean to be in God's will when I am living? I am I, I'm faithfully trying to live and yet I am struggling. I am faced with temptations. I'm going through trials. I'm frustrated. What does that then mean to live according to God's will for me? Last month, Michelle and I celebrated 17 years of marriage. And maybe this, this illustration might help imperfectly, but you know, Last month, we celebrated 17 years of marriage, and after 17 years, I can tell you there are a few things I've learned that Michelle wants, right? She wants my affection. She doesn't want me cold to her, You know, doesn't want me, want me to be aloof, doesn't want me to be unresponsive. She wants me to be present. It's not enough just to be married in name only, but actually be there and Be present, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in all those ways. And third, I've learned after 17 years of marriage, there's a lot of things I have no idea what Michelle wants. I'm just learning that over, yeah. Anyone that has a spouse can understand what I mean by this. I mean, simple things, simple things like, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? I'll ask, what do do you want to do for dinner tonight? The response Don't care, whatever you want to do. In my mind, that sounds like chicken wings. That sounds like, all right, Buffalo Wild Wings it is. I don't want wings. All right, then, we'll go out, we'll go to a restaurant, we'll get a burger, don't want a burger. 30 minutes later, I figured out, Okay, if you wanted sushi, just tell me you wanted sushi to begin with, and we could have went through all this. You know, there are certain things that that is revealed and known and we're able to kind of follow through accordingly. But then there's other things that I've learned over the years that, that maybe is not vocalized, but because I know her. Because I know her demeanor. Because I know what excites her and what, what concerns her. I know, what, I know in what ways she feels loved and cared for and what ways that, that maybe I'm... Um, um, Rude and abrasive, I guess is probably a, a good way to put it. You know, I think we find, we find that sometimes when we're searching out the will of God. What is it that you want for me? What is it that, that you're going to have, that you want me to move into? Some, oftentimes we have this problem of being sure that God is guiding us. Are you really guiding me in this? In other words, how can you, be, you and I be certain that we are in God's will And that the decisions we are making are the right ones. And this morning, as we look at this topic of the will of God, I want us to to really come away with this that the will of God is revealed in the Word of God, affirmed by the Spirit of God, and reminded through the people of God. It's wordy, I know. I'm sorry. I was not trying to be cute and clever. But the will of God is revealed in the word of God, affirmed by the spirit of God, and reminded through the people of God. And we're going to touch on a few points here as we're going through. So if you're one of those that like to outline and follow through, we'll be looking to define the will of God. And we'll be looking at that in in several ways. Secondly, we're going to be looking at what is the purpose of the will of God. It's not just enough that we look at what the will of God is, but what's the purpose for the will of God? Next, we're going to be talking about pursuing the will of God. Because we want to live in that. We want to walk in that. We want to be guided by by that and informed by that. So what does it mean to pursue the will of God? And then finally, our posture towards the will of God. What is a correct posture towards the will of God? So first, let's look at defining the will of God, and, and there's several ways of looking at this, and, and scholars and theologians have, have come up with plenty of different words and phrases to kind of say the same thing and then argue with each other because none of it is perfect, and so we're going to kind of hold our hats on on one way of doing it. When we look at the will of decree and the will of duty, okay? So when we're talking about defining the will of God, we're going to look at it in in two ways. And and listen, this this is a big topic. Big topic. We're getting the Cliff Notes version of this today. right? Will of decree and the will of duty. One has to do sovereignly with God himself. What God decrees in his sovereign judgment will come to pass ultimately. For sure, assuredly will come to pass. And then the will, this will of duty, what is it that he has called for us to do, right? Another way people say is like, you know, secret, God's secret will and his revealed will, right? Uh, I don't like that secret will because it sounds too like mysticism, and I, I don't like that song, in the secret hiding place, I don't like that song, so anything to do with that kind of goes through... So this will of decree, an example of this would would be looking at creation where God said, let there be light and there was light. Light had no choice. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There was no, let's just kind of think about this. Is now a good time? Should we kind of wait maybe another day? You know, it's just God decreed, let there be light and there was light. And oftentimes, people will look at this will of decree and they'll talk about it in in four ways or four aspects of the will of decree. First, it'll talk about eternal, that God's purposes and plans are not limited to a particular moment in time, but that is eternal. And a way of looking at that is, God had decreed that Jesus would come, put on flesh, that he would live among us, that he would live this perfect and righteous life and that he would give of himself for our salvation. Before the world began, God had decreed the avenue of, of our salvation. It is immutable. Fancy word of saying, unchanging. It is not going to change. God's decree, once it's once said, it stands. It's independent. He decides on his own. Does not confer with us does not ask us what our opinion is or maybe what our feelings are in this, doesn't look to see what, what anybody any or anything else's hesitations may be. No, it is independently, it is made independently by himself. And it is efficacious. What God decrees will always, always come to pass. The Second London Baptist Confession, uh, 1689, paragraph Chapter 3, sorry. Paragraph 1 says it this way. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity, so there we go, eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, independently, freely and unchangeably immutable, all things whatsoever comes to pass efficacious. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin. So when we look at this then, we're not saying that that God is the author of sin in all this, right? Uh, Thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. You're still responsible for your own sin. In which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness and accomplishing his decree. So to kind of sum up here, when we're looking at this, when we're talking about this will of decree, we're talking about God's sovereign will and plan that he establishes that will never change, that will not change, and will happen. But see, it's the revealed will of God or this will of duty that that we sort of concern ourselves more with in the day-to-day. What is it that God has for me How is it that he wants me to live my life? You know, we talk about as a church that that we want to live lives that are glorifying to God, that are pleasing to him. Well, then we look then towards what is his revealed will here? What is it that he has shown us to help guide us as we go through this to to figure this out? You know, an example, I guess, would be let's look at stealing. Stealing. Right? When you see that, that God has said, do not steal. And yet, we steal. It is a revealed command in Scripture. And he has revealed his command for us to follow. And what is different than his will of decree is that because of our sinful nature, it is possible for us to disobey. And so people look at this they go, okay, how, how do we reconcile these things? How do we reconcile these things? And and people talk about the permissive will of God then, right? This notion... uh, Here, I'm going to read this in Acts 17, verses 30 to 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So when we're looking at all this, we're not saying that God sanctions evil acts by any means. But because God allows, when we say that God allows these things to happen, that is not to say that God approves of those things to happen. And I think that's sort of the the distinction that people get hung up on when we talk about if God is completely sovereign over all things, then why is this pain happening in the world? Why am I suffering? Why are we going through this situation? And then not only why am I experiencing this, why am I the cause of suffering for others? Because going back is, anyway, you know, we're sinful people. And whether we've, we've been married, are getting married, have siblings, have parents, have children have co-workers, have neighbors, have friends. We have at times been that cause of suffering in another person's life. And and some people feel that and go, well, how could this be? They they wonder, if if God is sovereign, why would he have allowed such a thing to happen? I mean, you think of Joseph. What does he say in, in Genesis 50? As for you... You meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so we move then into what is the purpose when we talk about the will of God. And it's a it's a saying that that we've all heard, I'm sure you've used it, that it is for his glory and for our good. We even sang it today. That is, for his glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 says this. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. That I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake. He says it twice there. I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. When we're looking then at a bigger picture of the will of God, you know, the the, the decree of God, we may we're not gonna understand that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna fathom it, we're not gonna completely, you know, take hold of it, right? Uh and our responsibility, though, is to obey the revealed will of God, not to speculate on what is hidden. But we ultimately believe and know that this is all for his glory. Whatever he decrees and decides and in his will of decree and whatever he reveals in the will of duty, it is all meant and points to his glory, his goodness, his perfection. And it's also then for our good, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are created according to his purpose. And I think this is where you know uh, we're being reminded here in Romans that as we are going through times of suffering and struggles and temptations, as we're going through seasons of doubt, as we go through seasons of struggles in our, in our personal lives, and in our in our faith life that we know that those who love God, all things work together for good because our God is good. And so we know that this is the purpose of the will of God is for his glory and for our good. And so then we pursue this will of God in our lives. And as I shared earlier, it is revealed in the word of God, affirmed, By the Spirit of God, reminded through the people of God. And so we talk about being revealed in the Word of God. All Scripture, this is 2 Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice here, all Scripture... You know, we live in a culture that pushes against the church and pushes against our, our position on the Bible. They try to kind of tear that away from us. They try to tear away scripture from us. And they try to sow seeds of doubt. Us. Is that really what God said? Did he really mean that? Is this book not outdated and antiquated? Have things not changed over the years? I mean... Look, maybe we'll look at the, the context there. And so when Paul says certain things, he really only means it here, but that's not really for you now, right? Like there are certain things that, that the culture tries to push out of us to say doubt in scripture. Doubt that it is good. Doubt that it is the word of God. That is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness brothers and sisters the word of god is, is critical for our life as believers you know i would i would like to i, I think i would like to propose that a, i don't know if i know a healthy believer that is not or uh, uh, yeah I don't believe I know a healthy believer that is not in God's word regularly. Whether whether healthy in belief, practice, spiritually, maybe sometimes more seasons of doubt. I mean, here we have this gift. We have this gift where God reveals his will to us. We have this gift where, where he breathes out, he gives us all that we need here for Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And a growing number of of believers in churches are negating the opportunity to study, to read, to delve deeper into it, to teach it to their children. I mean, the word of God is, is precious for us. Not to say worship it, but we are looking at it as this is the very words of God for us. We should hold that in high regard, brothers and sisters. You know, it's like the same way if, if, if we're not looking to pursue the will of God in our lives, I kind of have to look at that, at least for me. Again, now, Jimmy's always got to be preaching to him. I look at it in two ways. One, I am one arrogant person. To not even think that I have to consider what God's plan and purpose is for my life. If I don't even want to get out of the starting gate to find out what it is God has for me, there's an arrogance and pride within me. And I confess that to you sincerely. Because then I think, I then believe, I am the one that is sovereign, I am the one that is in control, I am the one that is all-knowing, I am the one that knows what's best for my purposes, plans, and decisions. And then for some people, they just have never been able to articulate or to figure out, how do I look for that? They become so frozen because Sometimes this, the whole notion of God's will for you and, and the will of God in your life has been used as a beating stick upon believers and children and others where, where it becomes manipulated. I mean, I, watched what, I remember as a young believer, not young, 20-something, and I was working at a church. Uh, I was, no, I wasn't working. They wanted me to. And the senior pastor met with me He's like, hey, I had a dream last night. God revealed something to me. Um, he revealed, you're going to come work as our youth minister, and we don't really have the finances for it. So really, praise God that your heart's in the right place, Jimmy. And I just, <laughs> I remember looking at him like, it's funny, I had a dream too. He told me 80000 a year. <laughs> and it was like, but like, I've watched this man from time to time use this notion of God's will in your life as a, as a beating stick upon people. And to sit there and, and sit and go, I don't understand this. What's wrong? I was young. I was a bit more immature, didn't have boldness, trying to figure myself out like what's happening here. And it was just this, this beating stick. And so people shy away from that conversation and they don't know, well, how then do I find? Well, we look to God's word. We know, we affirm, and we trust in God's word. Pastor Joe has used this analogy in the past when when looking about this, like uh, this chair analogy, right? We know what a chair is. When I say chair, you can visualize a chair. You know what a chair is. It's got a seat, maybe it's got a back, four legs. But it's not just enough to know what a chair is. It's also then you believe that is what a chair is, right? So you affirm that, you assent to that. I believe that that is a chair. But see, knowing and affirming is, doesn't take any faith. The faith comes when you trust in sitting in the chair. That yes, this is a chair, I know it, I put my weight upon it, it could support me. We have too many believers that know and affirm that the word of God is good and precious, but don't put their trust in what it says in the revealed will of God. Looking and seeking to live their lives by that standard, by what scripture teaches us how we should be living our lives by. It'd be like saying saying I... um, Like in a marriage, right? It's one thing, like, I know my wife, I, I... like i i know she i know i know she loves me i know what love is right i believe she loves me but then that trust is i'm giving all of myself to her because i trust she is going she loves me back right that i you know that there's this connection there uh um there's this trust and faith in that and it's the same thing with the word of god We know, we affirm, because there are scholars out there that are not believers that know the word of God pretty darn well. But they don't have this saving faith of trust that this is the word of God, the very breath of God. So when we pursue the the will of God, we look and see that it's revealed in the word of God. Secondly, it is affirmed by the spirit of God. And the spirit of God uses... There's two ways here. There's a conviction or inner witness. And then secondly, circumstances. And when we look at this conviction of inner witness, we know that the, that the Spirit uses Scripture in our lives. I mean, I can't, I can't number the amount of times that I'll be in a situation, I'm sure you've experienced the same, where you've been in a situation, unclear and unsure of what to do, and then a passage comes to mind. Some sort of passage on, on here's, here's something there for you. Take a look at this. The Holy Spirit uses prayer as we press in in prayer, humbly seeking wisdom and guidance, as well as community, which we'll get into a little bit more next. How the Holy Spirit uses the community around us, the local church, to affirm the will of God in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit, though, it's it's beautiful, this conviction, this, this witness that it gives us because it gives us assurance to believers. First John 3 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from somebody where they've shared, I'm struggling in my faith. Like, I'm, I'm, str- I'm not even a believer, they'll say. And yet they mourn for their sin. And I said, well, let's touch on that right there. Like, there's, you know, worldly sorrow and there's, there's godly sorrow. And the fact that you're, you're mourning and you, you hate the sin, to me, is an indicator that the Spirit of God is working in you, that the Spirit of God is, is trying to lead you. That's the Spirit of God correcting you right there. That's the Spirit of God convicting you of your sin, right? And so it gives us this assurance as believers. It's when we become complacent with our sin that we should really be concerned. When our sin doesn't bother us, you should be concerned. When it's just continually over and over and over again, and you don't even give a second thought about it, that's when you and I should be concerned. It gives us this assurance of salvation, Hebrews ten, thirteen to seventeen. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, and I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So it assures us, the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. And also, then, gives us confidence as children of God. Romans 8 For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What a gift! What a wonderful counselor that we, have, that we have. So it's affirmed by the Spirit of God with this conviction and this inner witness that uses scripture, prayer, and community, but then also circumstances. I mean, sometimes God just intervenes and closes a door and opens another. We see that in Paul's life, where God just says no. It's not always how it goes. But it's still one of the ways that, that the Spirit affirms what the will of God is for us. You want that, you, you know, you're looking to, to, to move into this, this next season of, of, of ministry or this next season of employment, and yet God keeps closing that door. Maybe he's trying to say something there, right? Or maybe he opens up something. You keep hearing about these opportunities and people telling you, hey, you'd be a good fit there. That's, that's, a, that's an open... Uh, That is the Spirit's leading and prompting for you to consider that. So the Spirit then uses conviction, and inner witness, and circumstances. And as we pursue the will of God, we're reminded about the will of God through the people of God. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near you know if you notice in the as we're going through this isolation is not the best way to figure out the, the will of God for your life the the word of God is there informing you the spirit of God though is is affirming that and, and, and teaching us and counseling us. And then we're reminded by the people of God in our lives. That's why community is critical. When we neglect to be a part of community, to have other people speak into our lives, I think there's a, there's a severe danger there. I think that's, again, Jimmy's talking to Jimmy, there's a pride I joke, but it's kind of halfway joking. I think I told my wife this week, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like right 85% of the time. <laughs> and with those odds, just like poker, you just go all in every time. If I'm wrong, I'm only going to have to deal with that 15% of the time, right? But like there's an arrogance there for me. And this is where this is like my struggle. This is probably the thing I struggle with the most right, is because, don't, don't wink at me, it is, I, you know, I struggle with the most in this, because going to community, be reminded by the people of God, takes a level of transparency and honesty that, quite frankly, I'm not accustomed to, and I know often you struggle with that too, where we don't want to show the real things that are going on in our lives, I don't really want everybody to know what's going on up here. Right? at any given moment. But we are reminded that we need the people of God. I need the people of God to speak into my life and to remind me what is the will of God in my life. How is, it that I should be, how is it that I should be entering into a situation? I mean, I'll be honest, Pastor Brian and I, we do this with each other quite often, where we'll send a text and just say, listen, I need 10 minutes of your time. I need to run something by you. And we'll get on the phone, and it's no holds barred, mental... Download of everything one of us is thinking about a situation. And at the end of it, yeah, your heart's, yeah, man, that's good. I see what you're saying. Makes sense to me. Like, proceed. Or, man, you gotta check your heart. That's a little rough. Uh, I think you gotta work on this right there. You know? And yes, Pastor Brian says that to me a lot more than I care to admit. But we have this opportunity where we can sit there and, and really share with each other in a, in a protective space, I guess. Because I know Brian loves me. And Brian knows I love him. And as, for you as believers, we want you to know at, here at Redeemer Fellowship that there are people that love you and care for you. You have a community around you that is there to be in support of you. Through it all. So we have community groups for us to get involved in. Where we can meet weekly with people. We could study God's word. We can pray for one another. We can check in with one another. <coughs> we can really press in and admonish one another and encourage one another. <coughs> and then when you're ready, you can go even deeper in discipleship groups where you really tear off a lot of the onion peels to figure out what's going on deep inside. Why am I feeling this way? Why do I react? Why is this such a trigger? Why does this bother me so much? You know, I've had it where, where I've been in discipleship groups with guys and, and just be able to say, like, they'll say it to me or i it to them. Like, you kind of reacted there. Eh, why are you reacting like that? Where we could push and, and love and pray for one another. We have men's and women's ministries where we get to know other people then we can get involved in their lives. They can be involved in ours. And we have friendships. There's a lot of great friendships that have that have materialized here because we have this common, common love for our Lord. We have this common faith. I mean, this is what Scripture talks about. We come together because we share this common faith with one another. We understand the struggles and the temptations. We we feel together the push of, of the culture and the world trying to silence us. And yet we could come together and support one another in the midst of all these trials and temptations. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. And one of the arguments I've heard for people is, well, I don't want to be a burden. I'm kind of messed up. Guess what? We're all messed up. And I even think right there, we're looking at it wrong when we talk about where I'm a burden to the other person. What you are is an opportunity for their own personal growth to be used by God, to have this beautiful opportunity this beautiful opportunity to be used by God to encourage you, to, to admonish you, to love on you. I mean, it's such a blessing to be able to do that. Why would you rob an individual of that opportunity for their own growth? And if you're looking, trust me, I got plenty of opportunities for you to grow because I need, I need more counsel. We need to reframe this that it's not a burden to be sharing what we're truly going through. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity for a deeper, closer friendship and an opportunity for them to be used by God because it's a blessing to be used by God in such a way. Finally, this posture towards the will of God. I'm going to give us five here. That As we're kind of pursuing this will of God, in our lives, we, there should be a posture that accompanies it, right? Not an arrogance, you know, but a, uh, just this posture. First, humbly. We should, be, we should be filled with humility as we're pursuing this. Because when we come, I, what I mean by that is this, we should be curious in the midst of that, like we humbly come not knowing the answer. Like Paul, if the Lord wills it, I'll be back. It's open-ended. When we come already definitive, knowing what the answer is going to be or what we want it to be, when we import that, then we're once again making ourselves sovereign. And, and it, it's a level of pride in our lives to not be open to the will of God, that, to not be open to the change that God might have for us. So we come humbly and curious, seeking what it is that the Lord has for us. But then we also come submissive, that it might not be what I want it to be, and that's okay. The will of God for my life and where he has me do and what he wants me to say may be uncomfortable, but we submit to the will of God because it is perfect in every way. And we humbly submit to him. Just like Paul, submitting to the Spirit's leading. He wanted to do certain things. He wanted to go to certain places. But he submitted that to the Lord. Third, hungry. We should be hungry for pursuing maturity in our lives. As we're seeking the will of God, we're also then seeking more of him. We're seeking to know him more. We're seeking to love him more. We're seeking to grow in our maturity. Fourth, thankful. This is an amazing opportunity that has been given to us, brothers and sisters, that the God of the universe, the God of the universe hears your prayers. The God of the universe knows every hair on your head. The God of the universe absolutely loves you. And he hears you. And sometimes the scripture says he moves when it's according to his will on your behalf. This is not just some distant deity way out in the cosmos that created and walked away. This is a God that that is intimate and knows us. Fifth, delighting. We want to come joyful delighting in the law of God, in the will of God. Psalm 119. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Because as we struggle through, because we will struggle through, Jesus says when hardships come, when they come to pass, we're going to have these issues. And if it's not but by the grace of God... And delighting in his law, delighting in him himself, I don't know if I would be standing before you. Because looking at the will of God and trusting in the will of God and being submissive to the will of God has strengthened me for 20 years, for over 20 years. and I believe it would for you, and does for you. See, the will of God is revealed in the Word of God, affirmed by the Spirit of God, and reminded through the people of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity to to look at your Word. And Lord, I, I struggle often to know what is your will in my life. What is it that that you're calling me to do or calling me to say? But Father, I thank you for your revealed will. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your church. That I don't have to try to sludge through this alone, but that I've got other brothers and sisters that are, that we could come alongside one another, pray for one another, that we could speak scripture to one another, that we could... We could admonish and, and encourage. And Lord, I pray that we'd have this posture of humility and submissiveness, knowing that, that your ways are the best, that there is nothing better and nothing more secure than walking in your will. Pray this all in your name. Amen.